late payments for a small business. This can become very problematic very quickly. Same goes for making sure you pay your own suppliers all time. The time spent on financial admin, I think, is a huge pain point. It's one of the least favorites of most small business owners. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Purpose Driven Fintech Podcast, where we learn how to build fintech products with customer and commercial impact because we're on a mission to eliminate financial stress. Thanks to every single one of you that comes back every week to listen, learn, and get inspired. My guest today is Marika Konings, Chief Product Officer at Bankify. We talk about the challenges of SMEs managing their payments flow, getting financing, and managing their money, the importance of creating a safe environment to innovate and run successful fintechs, the difference between product strategy and roadmap, and how to go about market expansion as per Bankify's success story. Hi, Marika. It is an absolute pleasure to have you in the show. I am really looking forward to this conversation. Yes, same here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And then the reason why I'm looking forward to it, it's, well, it's multiple ways. One, you're a CPO. So this is like a product, product podcast, mm -hmm. right? So it's like, cool, we get to speak with a CPO. But then I am thrilled that you're a woman in a CPO role because in the fintech industry, there is, it's like unicorns, right? There is like such few women in a CPO role and that needs to yes. change. So I'm thrilled to have you in the show. And then also one of like part of the work that you're doing is kind of like focusing on financial inclusion from another angle that it's not just like focusing on consumers, but it's focusing on businesses as such. So it's yeah, a fascinating exactly. topic that needs to be explored more. So really, really looking forward to the whole conversation. All right. Thank you. So before we get started into the topic, let's get to know you a little bit better. So I have three questions for you, starting with what is your best productivity habit? I would probably say choose your communication channels wisely. So one of the things that, in my opinion, can be an immense loss of time and reduces productivity a lot is if you try to resolve things over lengthy email conversations and so on. So we've got so many options to communicate with coworkers, clients, users of our product. So choose the right channel when you are communicating with others. And as with everything, communication makes life just a little bit easier and it makes it just an awful lot easier to solve or to get to a good solution if you communicate right. So I would say probably be smart when it comes to communication. Oh, yeah. I love that because like you say, it's like today we have well, emails, Slack, WhatsApp. WhatsApp, even though it's also written, it's different to Slack. Yes. Phone, meetings, like there's so many ways to communicate. And I like that. Exactly. Think, think what's your best channel of communication. Yeah, Out it. Exactly. Okay. So what is your definition of success? Well, actually, there's a definition of success that's been formulated by Winston Churchill that I actually like a lot. And he said that success is fail and keep on failing, but never lose your enthusiasm. So I don't think it's so much about the failure, but it's about being willing to try. And sometimes you'll succeed. Sometimes you'll overachieve and it will go really well. 
but often mm-hmm. it won't and you'll fail, but you'll learn from it and you just keep going. And I think that's the definition of success. If you can just keep going, you learn from your mistakes, you celebrate your successes and that's what it's about, isn't it? Yes. And I love that because, well, you use one of my favorite words that it's like celebrate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Celebrate the successes. We need to celebrate even the the micro wins, the small wins, because then that, like you said, that keeps the enthusiasm going. It's the enthusiasm bank keeps growing yes. when you celebrate. So yeah. And not just your own going. successes. I, that's one of the things when you work with a team is make sure you celebrate your team's success enough because at the end of the line, that's all what, what's keeping us going, right? It's the small and the big victories yes, and yes, it's yes. being supportive when things are difficult. And that's what I like about working with teams that support each other. Yeah, that's super important. Talking about teams, of course, you are a woman in fintech at the C-level product. CPO. And of course, by now we know it's research, right? It's research-based evidence that diverse teams perform better. Mm -hmm. However, I think as an industry, we still need to put that in practice properly such that we can move the needle a little bit more. What are the practical things that you think we can do as an industry to improve diversity? I actually think it's Mostly about creating an environment where people have a voice, no matter what their role is, what their background is, what their experience is. And if you've got like a a safe environment where people can raise ideas or concerns or whatever it is they would like to raise in whichever way they want, because not everyone likes speaking up in a group. Some people are more uh, comfortable in a one-on-one context. But if you've got this environment where everyone's input matters, it automatically creates an environment that's much more inclusive and that will attract more diversity because there's the mindset is there to accept different opinions, to accept different backgrounds, levels of experience, and so on. So I think... On the diversity side, it's also important to look at all angles of diversity, as in age, having Mm -hmm. young and more experienced people in the same team is a really, really good mix because it's mutually beneficial. Yeah, You've got new and maybe out-of-the-box ideas combined with experience, and that goes for all different People from different walks of lives, I think, evidence aside and research aside, I think it's a given that it brings a better outcome because you just have a more rounded view on the world and the problem you're trying to solve. So it can only lead to better outcomes. Exactly. I like that because then you, I love that you were not like, oh, we need a mentoring. Oh, we need a quota. So we need all that, all that. It's more of a, no, we need a safe space. It it feels, I, I can see that it can help mentoring programs, especially in larger organizations. I think it, it's very difficult for people to find the right mentors or sponsors internally. I, 
I really do see the value of those types of programs. But it all starts with, can everyone be comfortable with who they are when they go to work? Do they feel like they're accepted and appreciated the way they are, that their opinion matters? I think that's the foundation. And then if that's not in place, you can put all the programs in place you want, but I don't think it's going to massively change. It's really the foundation that needs to be right. I a thousand percent agree with you. <laughs> yes. That's why culture is so important. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into the meaty bits of the podcast. So you are doing very purposeful work as such. What has been the role of purpose in your career? Well, the question would probably be, what would life and work be without purpose, right? Then it's just spending time. And I think everyone's looking for meaning in, in their life, but also in their work, because you spend a significant portion of your time working. Mm -hmm. And if you can do something where that really aligns with the values you have. And for me, the main thing is I want to have a positive impact, whether it's on the people around me, my friends, my family. I mean, if I can do something that makes their life a little bit better, that's what I want. But also the same for what we do at Bankify. I mean, we want to help small businesses to thrive. We do that through our banking partners, of course, but it's the idea that you can actually help someone who is passionate about their business that they've founded. How can you help them make that a success and not just, you know, making some money on the short term, but for them to actually grow their business to do more of what they are passionate about. So I think that's probably the main thing. It's making a positive contribution in whichever or whatever hat you're wearing at that point, whether it's a friend, a family member, a yeah. mother, a colleague. I think that that's really important. Yeah. And I, I think you summarized it really well. That's a positive contribution. Nothing yes. has to be, you have to go and change the world and like, no. uh, it has to be a positive contribution to people around you. Yeah. Yes. Simple. <laughs> I yeah, think it's I a like big it. enough goal. I mean, if everyone <laughs> would just try to make positive contribution in their surroundings, the world would be a really nice place, no? <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. Yes. <laughs> so before we go into Bankify in detail, Tell us a little bit about you. How did you end up in product and how did you strategize to get to the sea level? Well, I think I got to where I am today by saying yes a lot. And so as, as an example, I got into fintech for the silliest possible reason. I was looking for a new job at the time and I saw an advert for a job which showed that this company had a sense of humor. Wow. At that point in time, so this is before the days when you could bring your dog to the office and, you know, <laughs> there are pool tables and... <laughs> yeah. So that it's 
more than 20 years ago. So at that point in time, if you would see a job ad, it's usually what kind of salary can you expect? What are your responsibilities? And you get a company car and health insurance or something like that. In any case, they said we have the usual benefits, but we also have great coffee. So I'm like, who puts that in an ad? And that's what I made me write them. And that's how I ended up in FinTech. And that's pretty much the start of a chain of events where I was asked to, to take on a new role. And even though at times I wasn't entirely sure if I had everything it took to take on the role, I still right. said yes. And I took a chance <laughs> and people took a chance on me as well. But, but it's because of that, I was a bit out of my comfort zone when I first picked up a new role. I was able to learn so much, but also I was able to shape the role because the first time I got into a product management role, I was working at a company and they didn't have a product management function, even though we were building and selling products. And the company came to a point where they needed to formalize the role a little bit because, you know, being a product company without product management is a bit odd. So in any case, they asked me if I wanted to lead products and I was like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't entirely sure what I was getting myself into, if I'm completely honest with you. But it's such a privilege to be able to learn. And that goes back to those failures and, you know, still keeping the enthusiasm to try again. I think the number of failures was okay. I mean, I made a mistake here and there, but nothing nothing major. But having the privilege to you know, get a responsibility and and then shape that and make that evolve. And then you can make that ready to be handed over to, you know, whoever's got to succeed you. I think that's how I ended up where I am today. So the the short answer is I said yes a lot, (laughs) even though I wasn't always sure at the time I said yes that I was going to be able to do it, but yeah, it, I think I was. <laughs> so Awesome. Cool. So if we move then a little bit more into Bankify, what are you guys doing in the right. business space? So because of- uh, one, what we do and Bankify is we work with banks and financial institutions and We want to enable those banks to let, to better serve their small business customers. So small businesses, that's one of those segments that's notoriously hard to serve from a banker's point of view. So what we bring to the table is a solution where all the financial workflows that a small business needs on a day-to-day basis to run their business gets all brought into one single place and that single place is the bank's channel. So in essence, what we do is we flip the embedded banking model on its head. So rather, so 
the way a lot of small businesses operate today is they have solutions for subsets of the flow. So they've got a, a little payment solution there. They've got an invoicing capability there. They've got their yes. bank accounts with this bank and so on. So that's not how a small business owner thinks. So they don't think in terms of, I use this product for that purpose and so on. They think along the lines of, okay, I've got a customer. I've sold them some goods or services. I want to raise an invoice to that customer, make sure they receive it. I want to make sure they can easily pay their invoices. And then there's a whole bunch of accounting stuff that needs to happen on the back of that. So they think in terms of what does customer. Yes. What is that journey for me? So what we do is we actually bring that entire journey in the bank's channel. And that's a big change in thinking about how should we serve our small business customers? Because rather than thinking about what products do I have that a small business could use, I've got accounts, I've got cards, I've got credit products, I've got some insurance products. Instead of thinking about what products can I push to my small business customer, they're actually looking at the problem from the small business point of view. So what do they need to effectively manage their finances? And how can we make that more efficient? How can we, as a bank, be the one that supports that small business uh, when it comes to managing the financial health of their business? And the role that we play is we built the technology to make this happen. So that's what we do. Cool. So can we expand? You touched many different good points. So let's start with, you said, understand what the means need, businesses need to manage their finances. So I'm like, yeah. I'm like, what do they need? Yeah. Well, <laughs> actually... When you look at the world through the small business lens, it's, it's fairly simple. So you sell a product or a service. You want to make sure that your clients can easily pay for your services or products. But at the same time, you also want to make sure that you keep a close eye on any supplier obligations you have. And also in general, have a sense of what your cash flow position will be over the next mm. couple of months, for example, because it's really important to understand if there's going to be a gap, what measures can I take to prevent me getting in trouble? Maybe ask one of my suppliers for an extension on the payment terms, or I incentivize my customers to settle their invoices a little earlier so it could be anything. So if you... Break it down, there's a couple of workflows, accounts receivable that you need end-to-end. -end. That's how you get the money in. And then the accounts payable is how do you make sure you maintain a good relationship with your suppliers as well. Pay your staff on time, pay your taxes. Never forget to pay your taxes. <laughs> but also how healthy is my business from a financial uh, point of view. So not just looking and patterns in the past, as in I know that on average I've got this many revenue on a monthly basis and this many expenses, but also a projection in the future. I already know about 
money that's due to me or that I owe to suppliers, uh, staff, could be anything. So it's getting that 360 view. And that's today, a lot of small businesses have to patch together pieces of information from various sources in order to get that full picture. Luckily, there is technology that can can make that an awful lot easier. Um, And it's about making sure that you've got that financial dashboard and the actions you want to take on those different workflows. Yeah, I think you did an excellent job by being the voice of the customer. As you were talking, I was like, oh my God, that sounds like complex. As a business owner, I need to think of all of that. But that's the reality. They need to think of all these. But that's the thing about small businesses. So all the larger corporates, they are equipped with teams that can do all that. So they've got resources. They've got complex accounting software, they've got relationship managers at banks, so they have all the tools to succeed at doing these tasks. They have the resources to make it happen. A small business usually doesn't have that luxury, but they still need to do very similar things. And I think that's where the democratization of those types of services is such an important thing so that it's no different when you're running a small business, it's no different. You need to raise invoices. You need to keep your accounting up to date, all of that. But the main difference is you don't have a fully fledged accounts receivable team that does that on a daily basis. It's usually the small business owner or the one finance person that does that on a Sunday morning instead of spending time with their family. So if we can... Yeah. Also give them a bit of time back instead of spending that on financial admin. Yeah. We can automate some of that for you. It's still going to be done. So, And you touch a beautiful point that it's like small businesses are people. Exactly. Uh, you know, like it's the CEO. Well, it's the CEO with two members of staff. <laughs> That's the company <laughs> or with five in total. So it's yes. like they are humans. It's not the corporate you know, McDonald's yeah, exactly. or Netflix. It is the bakery shop that's owned by a couple. Yes. And, and let's be honest, nobody sets up a business because they enjoy raising invoices or chasing humans, you know. <laughs> that's not why you do it. <laughs> no, no, no. So what do you think are the biggest pain points of SMEs? I think it's quite simple. Late payments. Um, a larger corporate may have the capacity to absorb those late payments because they've got more capital in general. For a small business, this can become very problematic very quickly. Same goes for making sure you pay your own suppliers all the time. Hmm. The saving time on financial admin, so the time spent on financial admin I think is a huge pain point. It's one of the least favorite tasks of most small business owners. Um, And if we can do anything to help that. And then also on the back of that, being able to access financing at the right point in time and the right type of financing is another key area. 
for small businesses. So again, none of this is any different from what the large corporate needs. It's just the context for that small business is quite different, which they, they've got less of a buffer to yeah. absorb those late payments. They don't necessarily have all the resources. So they've got similar pain points, but the way they can go about them is a little bit different, I guess. Yes. And that is beautiful and concerning at the same time, because like if we think about it, like SMEs in any country, it's roughly 98% of businesses are small yes. businesses. So the, what is the implication of us as a financial services industry of not serving SMEs well as a society? Yeah, I make huge. Yeah. So I think the thing is, it's not just damaging the SMEs if they are not served well. So they, they need the appropriate level of service. They need support. They need the right products because it, it's more, the impact is bigger for a small business than it is for a larger or more established business. But at the same time, as you point out, the vast majority of businesses is in that category. So yeah. as a bank, would you, why would you miss out on these big markets of small businesses? They're there. They need help. They need support. They need good products. So why would you not go Wait. for it? Yeah, which is a great question that I'll play back to you in a different way. That it's like so far, if we look at fintech in the past 10 years, it's been very focused on neo banking and disrupting B2C as being a consumer individual person. But mm -hmm. the SME segment is still not to be, dis hasn't been disrupted. It still has room for improvement. Why? <laughs> Why haven't we as an industry have yeah. the, the, the well, problem. Yeah. I think it's being solved for, but not by necessarily by the bank. So okay. if you look at what accounting software vendors are doing, what commerce platforms are doing, the extent of the financial services that they are starting to offer or are already offering today. I mean, the market is there and people are. So yeah. the financial institutions and the banks, I, I still really think that small businesses, but also their customers are very keen to actually gravitate more towards the trusted financial brands that they, they are already familiar with. But it's, I think it's a combination of things. First of all, it's such a diverse group. If you look at the types of end users that we have for our product. So, so sometimes just, you know, out of curiosity, we look at what types of businesses do we are using our platform and it can be anything. It can be anything. The list is endless. So we, we've got like the people in the in the health and fitness space, but also people who are in construction, small software companies, 
So it's, it's a very diverse group. I think one of the strengths that we have as an organization is that most of us have worked in a small business at some, some point in their life. So we understand really well what it is to run a small yeah. business and what, you know, the difficulties are. So it's being able to look through that lens of a small business rather than the inside out view from the bank that makes it challenging. So, yeah. And then it's also being aware that it's happening. Like I said, the accounting packages, the commerce platforms, they, they don't just disrupting. offer you to accept card payments or something like that. They allow you to open a bank account. They will lend you money if you need money like Amazon. It's They have a lending. They have several Partner. lending products actually that you can get through the Amazon platform. So I think that banks need to pay attention. Um, and if they still want a seat at the table, they probably need to think about the problem a little bit differently. Yeah. So thinking about differently, like you, you just, well, not you just like about a year ago, you did a massive move that it's like you guys moved to the US, which is a yes. massive market. And other European fintechs have gone in the US and then left the US. Others tried to get into the US and they don't. How, what was your approach to make a successful entry into the okay. US? How did you think about it? So I think particularly US compared to European markets, even though you wouldn't expect it at first sight, those are two massively different markets on many levels. So in order to be successful in a new market, I think the very, very first thing you need to do is look and understand what the market is like. For example, in the US, you have thousands and thousands of banks. So there are a lot of community banks, regional banks, so that the you have very small, very niche type of banks that focus on a very, very specific target audience. In Europe, most of the countries, they have a handful of big banks that cover pretty much the whole market. So it's a completely different landscape. So I think the first thing you need to do is understand what does the market look like. And the same goes if you started off in US and you look at the European market. It's not just the market landscape, but it's also what or, or how, what habits do people and businesses have today? Because there is one thing for sure. You can have the best product on the market. It's really, really hard to change behaviors. It is really For example, hard. type of payment method you like to use to use something that's very much one of our day-to-day areas that we look at. If, for example, in a given market, people are very much used to using cards for their payments, it's really hard to change that behavior. So you need to work with what's already established in a given market, see how you can make it better, 
people expecting that everyone will drop everything that they've been used to for years and switch to something else. No. I can promise you it's hard. <laughs> it's not it impossible. Is, yes, because it's hard to um, change behavior. So, so that's one thing. And then you also need to look at the market through the lens of what you're doing as a business. So as an example, in the US with all these smaller banks, they have a very different take on how they use technology. So most of the banks in Europe, they prefer to have a solution either in-house or in a dedicated instance on the cloud just for them. They typically have IT teams that do an awful lot of work on all the technology they have. Like the community banks in the US, they tend to subscribe to services and they will ask the vendor to run the whole thing end to end and they don't want to be involved in any of the tech side of things. So while you're still offering the same product, it's a slightly different context. So understanding how banks buy in that market, in our case, is um, another element that you need to look into. And then finally, the localization. And that's not just changing screen labels with US English versus UK English and those types of things. But what communication channels are small businesses using with their customers? In the UK, for example, what is a big deal? Lots of people use that to interact with their clients. It's not used, not at all, but it's very, very limited in usage in the US, for example. So it's all those things you need to work out and to see how you can make your solution also fit with the local market requirements. So it goes from payment rails, what accounting software do people use, but very simple things also like what language do they use. It's really funny and you probably know, but in the UK and in the US, people speak English, but it's a a very different language. The terminology is is very, very different. (laughs) Yes, it is different, yes. You need a bit of a dictionary to translate at times, but that's all right. That keeps things interesting. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> definitely. It is localization is a challenge, but it's important. Mm-hmm. As we move more towards talking about product today in 2023, well, it's been challenging 12 or 18 months for the industry in general. What are the challenges that Bankify has at the moment? So I think on the, on the product level and then specifically looking at the you the US market and the fact that there are more smaller banks that are looking for really off the shelf, out of the box solutions. While if you work with Europe, they would like to have their own little thing added or changed. So one of the areas that's a big focus for us at the moment is making sure we can scale things properly. And that we've got some very efficient ways in place to make sure that we can support potentially a a larger number of banks, but with a more standardized product. That's that's, uh, one thing. 
entering in a new market and more getting more and more clients on board also comes with the very typical challenge one has in managing managing a product is how do I balance all the priorities? So I think everyone who's ever been in product management will know this challenge really well. I think we're pretty good at that, to be honest. And so let's keep on prioritizing the right things. And then I think also as a team, we grow and we are very, very big on company culture. So we hire Mm. very, very consciously and it's always one of the key topics, not so necessarily people's work experience, but we want to make sure that they are a good fit with the team and growing teams comes with the risk of losing some of that because the more people you have, the more difficult it is to to just keep that going. But so far, so good. But I, I think it's always going to be an attention point for us because we value our company culture so much. It's Amazing. really important to us and also to everyone in our team. Yes. And that's why people enjoy working with us. So we want to keep that as best as we can. I love that. And I'll come back to culture in a minute, but I totally love like culture to me is one of the most important things when looking where to work. Like that's it because you spend half of your life at work. (laughs) So it has to be, it has to be the right fit for you, for you to be able to thrive. But I want to go back to what you said about prioritization because you said it's a challenge, but we're doing a good job, (laughs) which is great. What are yes. you doing to to do a great job prioritizing? How how we do that? Yeah, well, yeah. What have you done that it's it's working? So the thing I love about working in product so much is that if you think about it, it's actually one of the most versatile roles in the entire organization because. It's not just you being able to feed into the tech team so they can build the right features in the right order. So setting the priorities for that, but you, you work with the sales team to understand Mm -hmm. what customers want. You work with the finance team to make sure, you know, the budget stays on track and so on. So as, as product, you kind of sit in the middle. Of all the action, but <laughs> yes, uh, and that's one of the the reasons why I like the role so much. Yeah. So for me, the main thing, and I've seen examples in previous jobs where people in products they were just you know they're experts in the product. Of course, I mean they know it inside out. They know more about it than anyone else. And it's dangerous to think that you are the single source of truth and that you know what's best. So the main responsibility of product for me is to make sure that you understand where the company is going, 
and why, that you understand who your customers are, what they need, why they buy, how you can create value for end users of your products, and bringing that all together. That's for me what product is about. And then setting those priorities quite naturally follows from opportunities, from end user feedback. So you can quite well, quite easily. It's not always quote unquote easy. Yes. <laughs> if you work very well, like we have customer engagement team that does a fantastic job working with end users to understand how they're using the product, how we can make it better and so on. The feedback from that is so valuable. So when it comes to setting the priorities, it's just basic logic you apply. If I can make a change that will have a positive impact for a lot of my users, then why wouldn't I do this first? There are other things like we have commitments with clients that need to go live by a given date for whatever the reason is they need to go live on that date. So it's about bringing all of that together and that it's a puzzle. Yes. When you're trying to build the puzzle or put the pieces together and in the end it always works. And the other thing is, I think I've done this long enough to know that things change all the time. Exactly. And if you are fine with that, you'll do a good job. <laughs> then it's all good. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. Like, I think if you are new to the industry, <laughs> you need to be yes. very conscious that things change very fast and there's yes. uncertainty. And then you need to be able to function well with the fast pace of change. Yeah, and exactly. And to be honest, Things are not always as urgent as they appear. So I'm, I'm more of a, let's take a step back, <laughs> have a good look, good. rationally think this through, and then um, we'll get there. So no, I, as you said, I often think you've never experienced working in an environment like in fintech where change is a given. There's lots of priorities to juggle. I can see. And then add to that, given the nature of the industry we're in, it's all highly regulated. There's all these rules you have to follow, certifications, data privacy, and so on. Throw that on the pile. (laughs) I can see how that could be overwhelming, but it all comes down to the team, doesn't it? It so, does. Yeah. You know, it comes back to the how you gel together as a team and then the culture and the safe yes. space that we talked about and the exactly. ability to talk through things openly and not have fear of your boss or the col- or your colleagues, like whatever it might be. Yep. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of people wanting to get into fintech. So there's a lot of advice for how to get into fintech, how to get into product management. However, there's not not a lot of advice out there in the internet on how to go in a fintech, how to go from a head of product or a product director to the C-level. In your experience, what is the difference from director, product director and CPO and how people can do that jump? What's, what's in the name, right? So when it comes to job titles, any 
shop with C in the title tends to be more strategic products ahead of development, QA, whatever, tends to be more focused on executing the strategy. Yeah. Um, I think where, where we are, if I don't have any distinction uh, between those two roles, and I don't mind, I actually like both of them. But I think the in a, in a larger organization, you probably need to make that split between someone um, who looks more after purely strategic elements of the role and others uh, who are a bit more involved in, you know, getting those strategies executed. Yeah, that's a great distinction. Yeah, because then it's like you need space to think and create strategy, but the door, like the day-to-day also needs a lot of attention to get things done and on time and well done and all that stuff. I like that. So coming then to strategy, one of the common challenges of PMs, regardless of seniority, is how do I create a good product strategy versus a roadmap? That a roadmap, many people see a roadmap as a list of features that you just like deliver. Yeah, it's two different things, isn't it? <laughs> I agree with so, you. Yes. Actually, the, the strategy is quite broad, right? So what am I building as a product? How am I taking this product to market? Who are my clients? What are my channels? How do I acquire and retain customers? So what's the value that you're adding? What are your competitors? So there is an awful lot of elements that go into a strategy and each of them needs to be investigated and thought to properly because it's only when you have all these pieces together that you've got a full view on where you're heading from a product point of view. And the roadmap to simply put there is how do you get there and how do you break this down into digestible chunks because you can't, you can't build everything you ever want in a product before wow. you release it, because then you'll never release anything. But it's then that prioritization and where do we focus on first? So perhaps there's only a subset of end users that you want to target initially, and then you can extend into additional features, which opens up the opportunity to serve another or an additional type of end user with solution and so on. So the strategy is is the the 360 view on product. So what, how, for who, um, who are my competitors and so on. What's the value proposition and all of that. The roadmap is simply, okay, how do we translate this into a real product? Yeah. I think it's a beautiful explanation. Yeah. Yes. Before we go, you touched about Bankify's culture and that it was very important for you as a team. Can you describe the culture and how you maintain that? Okay. Yeah. How do you maintain it? Yeah. So actually, the company culture we have at Bankify and it's our collective achievement as an organization, I am actually really proud of what we've achieved 
what we were referring to earlier on about an open culture where everyone has a voice. I think I'm not exaggerating. This is exactly how we operate. And you know when that shows best, it's when things are difficult. Yes. So when things are difficult, what happens in our organization is we all get together. Nobody is looking at anyone else to be responsible for the problem. We all feel like, okay, there's something that's not working or we're facing a deadline and it's going to be tight. What can we do? How can I help? And we just pull together. And I think it's the most wonderful thing in a workspace to be in a place. You know, some sometimes a mistake is made. And that can be a wrong decision that we've taken. It can be any other type of mistake that it happens. It's how the things or what happens next. And if you have that environment where also I like to involve a lot of people from different backgrounds, as in developers, but also sales, customer engagement, even our finance team, because they do financial workflows for small businesses every day. Of course. So they are the best people to ask feedback to when it comes to a new product feature, because they are so we make sure that everyone's on board with changes that we're going to make. And I think it really helps in us creating a better product to start with because we've got those different viewpoints that all get included. But also the tech team, when they then take that away and they build a product, they know why they're building that feature. And going back to purpose, if you know why you're doing something, it's just more rewarding to work and you know why you're doing the work. It's not because Marek asked me to build this feature. No, no, it's because, yeah, 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 connected to the feature somehow. Cool. So I'm very conscious of time. Yes. Uh, One very last question. If there was one thing in fintech, that you could change that could make the lives of customers, shareholders, and members of staff better? What could that be? I actually think that a lot of the work that's being done in fintech is actually about changing things. It's about making things faster, cheaper, safer, more accessible, and so on. I also think that there are less solutions out there looking for a problem, which was, uh, I think, a bit of an issue a couple of years ago. Again, going back to the start, I guess, making that positive impact always needs to be at the center. And then at the same time, let's be honest, we're also running a business. So is it a viable business as in is this a solution that people want to pay for? Can you make a living? So it's still, it should not be about making money of it as the one reason. The positive impact 
for sure is a key value I think we all need to hold ourselves to. But yeah, making positive change and democratizing services so that everyone can benefit from them. I absolutely loved this episode. Thank you so much, Marika. <laughs> That's a very wonderful way to finish. Where can we find you and Funkify? Uh, Funkify.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, on the social media channels. It's Funkify with an I in the end. There's another company yeah. with a Y. <laughs> so Funkify with an I. Perfect. Dot com. And I'll add that in the notes, in the show notes. Marika, right. it's been a pleasure. Thank you nice so much. To you too. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.